Well, as you can tell by now, I'm not Matt. I'm Tim Long, and I've met a number of you. I'm the new executive director with Turner Retirement Homes, and uh, almost in the community completely, 90% moved. Slept in my bed down here last night for the first time in five months, so that was good. But it is great to be with you this morning. Uh, if you haven't heard, there's a lot happening at Turner Retirement Homes. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail. Uh, but I know you have some in the fellowship here that know intimately what we're dealing with and going through right now as a part of the body of Christ and the mission there. And so my request is that you would continue to pray for our residents that are going through transition right now, our staff that are going to also be going through transition and looking for different things uh, as they move forward, and certainly uh, the leadership of T TRH and everything that happens there, our trustees and the decisions that are made. Um, it is definitely a hard time, but we do see God working through this season uh, to bring Turner to a place uh, of strength and uh, focus in the future. So it is great to be here this morning, and uh, I'm honored to be sitting with you. I know uh, Matt has got to be exhausted this morning. <laughs> That's a joke. This is a tough crowd here. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, we're just excited. We're excited for uh, the arrival of this new little one and all that life represents. It was fascinating to me when Matt called me said, hey, Tim, there's something on the horizon. Um, would you be willing to kind of be prepared uh, to, to speak for the family if at the last minute something happens? I said, absolutely. I said, do you have a series you're going through? And uh, he said, well, as a matter of fact, we are. We're talking about Jesus and food and eating. And um, I thought that was peculiar because I love Jesus. I'm partial to food. And I like eating. So I'm like, this is the dream series right here to be able to go through this. But I'm going to be speaking uh, out of Luke chapter 9, verses 10 to 17. And I'm going to see if I can get this mic to, to stay on. I know uh, I probably have a little bit different shaped head than Matt does, so we'll see if this works. There we go. Um, but before I get going, I would like to just open this in prayer this time. Father in heaven, I just thank you for the, the gift of life and the excitement that comes with that. Father, we also know that uh, there's the other end of that spectrum as we lost one this week, uh, actually got to go home to you, and we're excited about that. Uh, living a faithful life and the victory that comes from that, Father. But uh, I just ask, God, that you would use this time uh, to speak the, your words to this family and, and the body of Christ here. Uh, bless this message today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So before I start into the actual passage that we're going to study, I want to give us some context. And as I studied this, it's been a while since I've been in this particular passage here, as I studied this, there were some new things that kind of came to me about the context that led up to our passage. So let's, let's jump in Luke chapter 9, verses 1 to 9. Now he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all the demons and the power to heal diseases. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. And he said to them, take nothing, take nothing for your journey neither a staff, nor a bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not even take, and, and do not even have two tunics. 
Uh, and whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave the city. And as for all who do not receive you, when you leave that city, take the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And as they were leaving, they began uh, going throughout the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Which then brings me to the foundational passage. And this is significant, this setup, because God has just done something incredibly miraculous for his followers, his disciples in that moment. He sends them out to do this incredible task and take no resources with them. Be fully dependent on him. And so as we move into this next passage of Scripture, before I read, I want you to be prepared. I know your notes may be different because they're probably ready for mass message today, but I want you to find a place that maybe you can take a few little notes as we go through this next passage. And I want you to write down as many things that come to mind that are revealed or affirmed about Jesus in this passage. This is a great exercise to do. Anytime you're reading through Scripture, you want to see insight about uh, what's happening in the Scripture. Um, and I'm going to stop at the first one just to kind of give us the flavor of, of really what I'm pointing to. Um, Luke 9, verses 10 to 17. I'm going to start with verse 10. And when the apostles returned, when they returned from this big adventure that God had sent them out, fully dependent on Him, when they returned, uh, they gave an account to Him of all they had done. What is revealed about Jesus in that passage right there? Obviously, Jesus is an authority figure because they have come back and they are reporting to him. So Jesus has authority in the situation and certainly in our lives. They reported back, they gave an account, um, and, and it resonates with his very words in the Great Commission. When Jesus said, all authority, right, in heaven and on earth has been given to me, that is affirmed in that one verse. So let's keep going. That's, that's one example. Uh, as the apostles have returned, he gave an account, and taking them with him, he withdrew privately to a city called Bethsaida. Did we learn anything more from that verse? Well, generally when people follow, it means someone's leading. So Jesus is an authority figure. Jesus is also leading his disciples. He's taking them. It's a good assumption that he's a, a leader and an authority figure at this point. Verse 11, but the crowds were aware of this and followed him, and he welcomed them. Any insight we could gather from that about Jesus? I forgot to tell you, I'm kind of an interactive preacher. So I've been known to pause for a long while. Think about that. Uh, what, what did he do? The crowds were aware of this, and they followed him, and he welcomed them. What does that tell us about Jesus? Something in the character and nature of Jesus. Charismatic, they followed him. He allowed them. He, he actually wants people to follow him. He didn't say go away. There were times he was exhausted. He didn't say go away. Sometimes he'd get in a boat and he'd float away, and they would follow him anyway. But, but he, was, he was worthy and open to have people follow him. In fact, he wants people to follow him. He wants people to hear the message. And, and began speaking to them about the kingdom of God in this. What did we learn about Jesus? Well, he's a teacher. He wants to let people know about what's happening. So he's a teacher as well. And, 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 and curing those who had need of healing. You can get this one. He's a healer. Jesus is a healer. And then we come to the big text. Verse 12. Now the day was ending, and the twelve came up and said to him, 
Dismiss the crowd so that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and get something to eat because here uh, we're, we're in a secluded place. There's nothing here. There are no food carts. There's not a market of this or that. We're out here in the wilderness with these people, and they're, they're getting hungry. But he said to them, and this is classic. I, I had to go back to this. He said, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Remember, they've just come off this journey. They've they come off this journey where they were sent out. They had no resources. God totally made sure they were taken care of the whole time. And he looks at them and says, wait a second. You give them something to eat. You know what this tells me about Jesus? It's relevant to us today. He expects our participation. I think it's one of the problems that we're struggling with in the kingdom of God right now. Certainly in the United States of America, we've gotten very comfortable with just being spectators. It's, it's good to just go through the motions of faith and Christianity, but the reality is God says, I'm actually planning to use you to get some of this done. So, you can't speak everything into it other than he looked at them and he just said, you give them something to eat in the context of what they've been through. But they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless perhaps we go and buy food for all these people. Now, if you don't know me, maybe some of you know me well enough to now, I kind of lean toward logistics. I'm a logistics person. Um, I still love Jesus, and it doesn't mean I'm a cold heart. I'm just, how do we get there? What are the steps that we get there? And so their response to me was, you just had a tough time figuring out how you were going to feed them. How in the world are you going to go find enough food and buy it in a short amount of time that you're going to do this and bring it back to these people? In other words, there's a whole other dynamic going on between the disciples and Jesus right now. Jesus says, you take care of it. Testing them on some things, I'm sure. And their response is, uh, uh, what? Do we go buy the food? Do we go, how do we do this? We, all we have, Jesus, is just this little sack lunch. Hmm. It's almost as if there's a little bit of play going on here. Um, verse 14. For there are about 5,000 men. But when he said to his disciples, have them, uh, re- then he said to his disciples, have them recline and eat in groups of about 50. The logistics person in me says, oh, he's got a plan here. He's got a plan. Get them in groups of 50. We're going to have, here it goes. This is, this is what's going to happen. And we're going to gain some, real pr- some other insights about Jesus in this. Because Jesus appreciated the significance of taking a big task and breaking it down into manageable pieces. Now, let me just pull this into your personal life. You may be struggling with something significant right now in your life. It may be a sin that's out of control. That's why we need to talk to each other once in a while, just encourage one another that we all deal with sin. And you may have this giant thing in front of you, and Jesus says, I just want you to take it a step at a time. Because even though, recognize I am with you even to the end of the age. Your mind, we're connected. So let's just take this in little steps. Take your first step, take your next step, and I will eventually get you to where you need to be. Verse 15, they did so, and they had them all recline. And he took the five loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven, see, Jesus understood the, the true authority in this relationship, looking up to heaven, best teacher you could ever have, 
He didn't waste one word. He didn't waste one experience. He took that and he said, this activity is happening because of the Heavenly Father. He looked up to heaven and he blessed this food. He, uh, he blessed them and broke the, the fish and the, and the loaf and gave them to the disciples again and again and served the crowd. See, Jesus has the authority now for miracles. We knew that already. Affirmed. This is about Jesus and his character. And then the big verse. The verse that speaks to what I want to speak to you about this morning. Verse 17. And they all ate and were satisfied. Jesus satisfies. He's better than the best meal you could ever have. Jesus satisfies. In that crisis moment in your life, will you lean into Jesus and say, God, I need your help. Jesus, please, he satisfies. He may not give you the answer you're looking for, but he can give you peace in that answer. Jesus satisfies. What I want to take us today is the truth about Jesus and that he satisfies. Last week, Moat, uh, Matt, not Moat, Moat, that's wrong, Matt spoke about forgiveness. What came out in his text was the idea that Jesus it forgives. In fact, he, he mentioned Simon saw Jesus in that meal encounter as an opportunity for prestige. Maybe try to ta- uh, trap Jesus in what was happening there. And yet, this other person comes on the scene, this woman who uh, had a reputation which, you know, if, you, if you're a scholar of the Word, if you read through the Word, if you understand the Word, whenever you see things like that, at least for me, I'm tremendously convicted. Matt pointed it out last week, and I really appreciated it, because he said some of us are just better at hiding our sin than others. But the reality is, to single someone out and say, yeah, that's because that's a very visual sin, and what a horrible thing, and this, that, and the other, while we sit in our chairs and we know, but I have my secret sin that certainly nobody knows about, right? Oh, except the God of the universe. That's why confession is so important. God doesn't need us to confess to him to clear his conscience or make it right. God needs us to confess to him so we can realize he's our authority figure. He's the one I can turn to and he forgives. And he loves me. So this woman comes in and she has no motive other than to love on Jesus because she knows Jesus as the authority figure. She's heard the stories about Jesus. We need to remember that, folks. Hidden sin is not hidden sin. I'm going to talk about uh, some of the things that uh, definitely play into that as I get through this a little bit here. But, but there is no sin. I want you to remember something about sin. There is no sin that is so bad that a sinner with a contrite heart cannot find forgiveness. Jesus is about forgiveness. And I think as we saw in the text last week is that woman got down and she washed Jesus' feet with her hair, with her tears, to put perfume on his feet. I think any, every one of us could say, I am that person. I could absolutely be there. And is this how I approach Jesus the Messiah? Or am I looking for something out of the relationship beyond just recognizing he didn't have to do anything for me, and he did. He chose to go to the cross, a humiliating death, so that I could have freedom, and that you could have freedom. Jesus is all we need. Jesus is satisfying. Jesus satisfies. Jesus is all we need to navigate the good and the bad in this life. Jesus 
satisfies the hungers of life. So what are some of the things that we hunger for? Well, obviously food. In this case, the series we're talking about, we're talking about food, but I want to look at a few passages that might, or at least a couple here that will might speak to that. Matthew 26, 25, and 26 says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, or what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? This might be a, a good place for someone to ask the question, Tim, why then are there people starving to death in the world? To which Tim might reply, God has provided more than enough food to feed everyone on the entire planet. So if people are starving, it really isn't a God problem. It's a people distribution problem. You follow me there? See, it comes back to God wanting us to participate in the work. And say, well, why won't God just put rain in Africa? Because God may realize that as Christians come together in other parts of the world and they unite in one and they give glory to God in what they do to rescue those people and to put wells in Africa and to plant and to help and to train and to teach and to be Jesus in that culture, we're actually participating firsthand in the work of God and God gets the glory. Why in the world would you come into our country and do this for us? I changed the title for someone one time. Uh, he was off the side of the road, and he was having a hard time, and I just was compelled to pull over. And when I was all done with him, we were talking, he said, you know, I'm just curious, a lot of people go by me, why in the world did you stop? And I had to confess to him that if I was my own self, if I was the self that didn't have Jesus, I probably would have been all the rest of them just driven right on by. But Jesus changed my life, too. And secretly... I had the opportunity to share Jesus with someone over a flat tire. Praise God. That's how God wants us to participate. We don't have to be, you know, great speakers, and we don't have to go out on the mission field across the world and this and that and the other. Right in your own place, right where you're at, as you go to the grocery store, in fact, it goes ties right in with the Great, uh, great Commission, as you go about your daily lives, look for opportunities to participate in what God has invited us to do. Because if God just wanted to wave his arm and all the problems be solved, you know, he'd probably just wave his arm and say, I'm going to start all over again. I'm not going to have Jesus in this mix. This is just not working out. And I'm so thankful he doesn't do that. He wants us to participate. Because participation is an amazing thing. You know, I used to tell people in, uh, in, when I was in children's ministry, um, hold on just a second here. This guy's taking off on me here. I used to tell people when I was in children's ministry, if you want a lot of people to come to your event, invite everybody to serve. Give them a job. Make them a greeter, make them this, whatever. You're the vacuum cleaner afterward. You do this, you do that. And it was amazing as people would start coming to the event and they would support. A little hint there to the church family. I know you guys are a very uh, participatory group of people. But I want you to think about that. Participation is an amazing way to interact with other believers and to, and to actually take part in, the, in, in what God invites us to do for him, to reach a lost world. 
I would use that same argument that I just shared about feeding the planet in the area of financial needs and the work of the Lord. I would just challenge you, if you are a systematic giver to the kingdom of God, I'm in favor of, you know, my wife and I sit down usually in November or December when we're just thinking about end of the year and pulling everything together, and we will go through the process of what does next year look like? And where does God want us to put our resources? And yeah, we will purpose. Hey, so much here and so much there. And then we will do things that's extras that come along. Here's the, when the extras come along, kind of what we'll do with it. But if, if you're a systematic giver, and I don't, I don't preach against the tithe. I think the tithe is important. But I think the tithe can be an excuse for people sometimes who God really wants to call to do more for the kingdom. And you just, you just hit your button and you feel like, I'm right with God. I'm good with God. And, and we just need to be reminded that God owns it all. He owns it all. It's all His. He's entrusted it to us. What greater way to turn back to God and say, God, where can I use this for you? How can I use this for you? The local church shouldn't be struggling with budget. And I've been in ministry for 25 years. It, it should not be. But we live at a time when sometimes we forget, like the disciples, who were sent out with nothing to do God's work. And funny enough, he took care of them. They come back, and the first thing they say is, how are we going to feed all these people? What did you just experience? Well, the same applies in our finances. Have you really tested God with this? And I don't mean in a, in a negative, you know, you won't do it, God. I mean, God, your word promises that as, I'm, as I am a, a giving person, as I'm a person who cares about other people, it's going to come back to me tenfold in ways, and I'm not, I'm not preaching uh, prosperity doctrine. Because I don't even think it comes back in money tenfold. I think it comes back in riches in the kingdom of God. When you watch what God does with our two mites or three mites or our little bit, and we give it to him, and it comes back in ways that just are amazing. And God says, you're participating with me. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? And we're inspired, and we're encouraged by it. I'm going to move on, but, but catch this interesting passage in Isaiah, and then I'm going to come back and give you uh, the, the bigger passage here a little bit later. Why spend money on what, is not, uh, on, on, on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the riches of fair. The richest of fair. Don't get focused on the material things carnal things of this world. He's got something much richer for us. Involves our participation with Him. I, I could go through nearly an unlimited list of things that we hunger for. You know what yours are. In fact, I feel comfortable enough saying that I believe every sin struggle that we have has a direct connection to this internal satisfaction, this need for something in our lives that only Jesus can really provide. You pick any sin that we deal with, and you say, it's something internal trying to solve a problem that really Jesus has already said, I did that. I can do that. I can do that for you. Let me give you a few examples. I try to pick ones that none of us have to deal with, okay? Gossip. Gossip comes from a space of, of wanting to be accepted. It does. I want to have the new, I want to be the person that's in the know. And, and Satan just pulls us in. He just pulls us in. Gossip is horrible. 
It's horrible for the body of Christ. And ultimately what it, what it is, it's a way to say, I want to be in the middle of the mix. I want to be the answer person that knows. And what we don't realize as we do that, we're actually isolating ourselves from people. Because they're like, what do you do? Don't say it in front of so-and-so because it's out there. You follow me? We don't need to be in the know. The only know we need to be in is to know Jesus Christ. And be all about spreading everything we can about Jesus into this world. And parking all that other stuff that Satan uses to create division and distraction in the body of Christ. Just one that I know we don't have to deal with, so just as an example. How does Jesus satisfy the need uh, to feel accepted? Well, listen to this, Psalm 139. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Or Ephesians 1.4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. If you have a problem feeling like you're not appreciated enough, or you're not in the middle of the mix, the God of creation had you planned in advance. He knew that through Jesus Christ and the salvation you have in Jesus, if you choose Jesus, you are absolutely accepted. You don't have to go seek the, the, the being accepted yourself. God's already done it. I mean, it's one thing if your neighbor here likes you, and, you know, and sometimes we don't, you know. It's another thing if the God of the creation says, not only do I like you, I love you, and you are accepted. Stop gossiping. You don't need to do that. It's destructive to my, my kingdom, and it's hard on your testimony as a person of Jesus Christ. Uh, does anyone here, I gave a couple scriptures, uh, does anyone have any other convincing evidence or scriptures that speak to the value of acceptance in God? Can you, just one just come to mind that you kind of lean into? I know you're not prepared for me to... Just thought I'd throw it out there. If my wife were here, she'd give me about ten. Boom, 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 just like this. So... Um, Let's do one more, and then, and then I want to get into the meat and potatoes of this one verse that satisfies, that Jesus satisfies. How about personal biases against uh, uh, people groups or segments of society? I, I'm coming from the Portland metropolitan area. <clears throat> Just to say that, people have an impression already. They don't even know me. Okay? Born and raised in Portland, I've watched that city completely be trans-whatever-formed, positioned, whatever. It's, it's, it's a changing place. And, and it's hard for me because I've gone on mission trips where I'd go into third world countries and you'd see tent cities all over. And I'm like, man, it's just weird. We don't have that. And now we have it. And it's disturbing. And at the same time, it's not my job to judge what's happening in that. It's my job to make sure that we're getting Jesus Christ into that environment as well. Why? Because Jesus satisfies. Jesus changes lives. He won't make them all millionaires, but when they find Jesus, regardless of the outcome, they'll have a home that's better than they would have ever had here on the earth. Are we biased against people, uh, people and people groups? And, and it is, it's a real thing that happens in the church. It is. What could be the underlying need when we're concerned with the people group? When we when we feel like, well, yeah, they're okay, but I don't necessarily want to hang out with them. Kind of like Jesus did with sinners. <laughs> okay? 
the same thing, what a people group Jesus could have just said, you know, I don't want to hang out with any of them. <laughs> They're big trouble. Maybe insecurity, maybe that's what it is. Maybe insecurity in seeing, in, in seeing things that, that we're comfortable with now being changed. And it's, it's upsetting. What was that? Fear. Great, great example of that. It's a fear base. It's the unknown. It's something's happening that I don't have control of. Newsflash, you're not supposed to have control of it. Who has control of all this? Sharp group. Who does? You got it. I hear it. You're whispering. You're afraid to say it. You know it. God is in control. I don't have to have control of this. God, I don't even have to necessarily understand this. I know you do. But what I do need to know is, where do you want me in the mix? How do you want me to help in this? Am I going to be a participant in this, this group that I'm kind of biased against because of fear or concern or whatever that may be? How can I be a part of that, God? You tell me if I'm going too long. Okay, my watch broke, and that was convenient. So, what did Jesus charge us with? Um, can I just switch to this little mic right here? Is that possible? Because I know this is just going to be a distraction. Excellent. Can you hear me now? My last job was with, what, AT&T or whatever. Can you hear me now? Um, what did Jesus charge us with? What, what did he want us to do when it comes to people and contacting people groups? What did he tell us? I hinted earlier. What is it? To go around the world. Tell the good news. Spread the news. Right? We're here to make disciples. In fact, he, he put it in words, so I'll just read it. Therefore, God, uh, therefore, God, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded, and training them with you always to the very end of the age. When I was uh, living in Gresham, um, at a house out there that was our primary house at the time, uh, I started riding my bike. I know you look at me and say, you ride your bike? <laughs> I did. I would ride my bike down the path. Sometimes I'd ride 26 miles a day. I'd go downtown, I'd do whatever. It was a little feltier at the time. And I remember one time I came down the path and there was a, a man laying right in the middle of the path and his bike had fallen over. And as I came upon him, I realized um, he was homeless and he was drunk as he could be. And he was really wounded. He was hurt bad. And so I helped him off the path. I got him on a bench, and I said, I'm going to go. I didn't have my cell, didn't, didn't have my cell phone with me. Not even sure it was at a time when there was a cell phone. But anyway, I got him off the path, and I went to a local business. I said, hey, hey, can I borrow your phone? And like, what's going on? I said, well, there's a guy out on the path. He fell, he got hurt. And he said, let him die. No joke. He said, I don't care if they die. They break into my business all the time. He, he just went on and on about how horrible these people are. And I just looked at him, and I remember that, you know, there, but for God, go, go I. If it were not for the grace of God, I'd be right there. And I quoted that to him, and I said, I don't know if you're a believer or not, but I want you to understand something. Regardless of what people are at in this life, they're precious to God. So not only, and it's not only about telling how good he is. You, I didn't plan to do that that day. I went out for a ride, and God said, okay, I need you to participate with me today. I want you to help someone and comfort someone in their hour of need. I also want you to teach somebody else. They better work on their attitude here a little bit and, and be seeking those things that are important lifelong. That's what I want us to think about. God, Jesus said, go out and make disciples. As you go about what you do, 
spread the message of Jesus. It's really hard to do if you're a gossip. It's really hard to do if everything is all about you and how am I It's really hard to do because that affects your testimony. So they look at you and say, you're not authentic. You're not an authentic believer. You know all the right words, but it still doesn't live out in your life. The message behind go is translated as you go. How about Matthew 22, 37 to 40? You know this one. This is about people groups that we might be struggling with. Love the Lord your God with, with basically everything about you, with your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. I can do that, God. Oh, and the second is just like it. It's just as important. It's just right there. What is it? You know it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And it's fascinating when I read that because I don't, I, I never see a qualifier in Scripture that says, except this neighbor. You don't have to love this neighbor or this neighbor. Well, Tim, I think that refers to Christians. Mm, I don't know. I think God wants us to be the best example of Jesus Christ we can be in this world. And there is no disclaimer. Unless they do this to you or unless this happens, then you don't have to, to love them anymore. You follow me there? Another area that we can be biased, even in the church. We can say, well, yeah, we've got a nice little community, and that person doesn't look like us. That person doesn't smell like us. That person doesn't talk like us. It's just really awkward. I think they could find a better church. I don't know. Maybe they will. <laughs> you know, in, in some sense, because the reality is we're part of the body of Christ. They want to be part of the church, the capital C church. They want to be a part of the body of Christ as well. So sometimes we need to be challenged in those things. Today I want to draw our attention to the, to the greatest, one of the greatest, I would say maybe the greatest single struggle we have. I could be wrong. Um, but it is this. I know it's up there in the top five. And that, uh, that struggle, uh, it leads to what we really hunger for, and that is trust and lasting peace with God. You may not answer it that way, but ultimately that's what it comes down to. We're in unrest, and we struggle with sin, because deep down, we want to have peace, true peace, with our Heavenly Father. And we know, just like you confessed this morning, we know that we are poor at that sometimes. We cause problems of distress in that relationship, not God. We're the ones. So we know in our conscience, I don't have peace with God, and ultimately it rests in my hands. I, I've done something to, to interfere in that relationship. But I believe, and you've heard it before, every single person has that God space in their life, that void that can only be satisfied in the soul of, of God living in a person's life. And when we don't have that, we see all the manifestation of sin and distraction, and disunity, disharmony, everything that happens in this world. One of the reasons we're in the, in the place we are uh, in the world is because God is, he's just stepped back in some ways and said, I'm going to let them chase their sins. They'll see how this plays out. That doesn't mean we're not supposed to be doing what we're doing. But deep down in the heart of everyone, I believe even the most heinous sinner there is a void there that if Jesus were there, life would be transformed. Second Corinthians 5.17, the old is gone, the new has come. 
whole new perspective on life and how we look at life. Jesus said in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And the Apostle Paul affirms this as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. And we have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency, our satisfaction, comes. It is in and from God. You know what this is? This is peace in the midst of our battles. That's what that is. This is peace when we're in the middle of our troubles and our challenges. Even in the world, it's that verse speaks to that. This is peace with our inner battle, things that go on inside. When the enemy finally realizes his efforts are futile because we belong to God. And he understands, I could spend my time better spent on somebody else because this is a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's peace, folks. Isn't that a refreshing day? When the enemy looks at you and says, mm, that is just too much work. <laughs> I'm going to move on to an easier target because this one is just too much work. I'd love for the enemy to say that about me. And sometimes I give in to him, though. And I make mistakes. Are we doing okay? Are we hanging in there? All right. When we let God be our God, we experience satisfaction in the soul. Jesus satisfies. And we want to live for him and do for him anything he asks. What is so rewarding in finally finding that real, genuine, authentic peace with God is that we also realize the benefits that are connected to his peace. It's the person on their deathbed who's lived a life for Jesus. And we mourn and we're concerned because we don't want to let him go. And they're looking on ahead saying, do not hold on to me. I need to get where I belong. When the stressors are pressing in full throttle and we aren't hearing what we want to hear from God, maybe even we just hear silence from him, we can still have peace because, and I want you to just hang with me, I'm going to go through these real quick. Four things I want you to think about. Jesus satisfies our hunger for answers at the right time. He has perfect timing. Tim, it doesn't feel like it. Yes, he has perfect timing. In our key passage today, there's an urgent uh, problem developing. This large crowd is here, and they are getting hungry. Okay? And if there's any compassion there, we want to take care of them. It said in Luke 9, verse 12, they began to decline. It was about the 11th hour, late afternoon. Ecclesiastes 3.1 3, says there is an appointed time for everything and there is a time for every matter under heaven. In Acts 1.7 we read, uh, he, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. I think this concept of time is very important to understand. God's timing is perfect. We have expectations of God sometimes in our timing. But his timing is perfect. Have you noticed that most of the time in the Bible, when uh, the Bible speaks about God and timing, it, it generally relates to us needing to be patient. You know, wait on the Lord. I'm tired of waiting. Wait some more. Wait on the Lord. His timing is perfect. In some cases, he's having us wait for really good reason. He wants us to wait. He's got something big he's going to show us, or he's got something big he's going to do for us. 
Second Peter three nine. And Lord, this is the one. This is one I have read this so many times in my life. As I've dealt with somebody that's a real stinker, and I'm like, God, why don't you just help us all out here, okay? You can just solve this problem real quick. And, and, and then I read the scripture that takes tremendous conviction, 2 Peter 3 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But I always need to be patient with me, but not that person, because they're trouble. And I'm so thankful that God is patient with us, that His timing is different than ours. Because there may actually be some people sitting here today that know Jesus, that if He would not have been patient with you, you wouldn't actually be here. Or you wouldn't actually know that you have a hope and a future in Jesus Christ. Isaiah 40, 31, But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Hope, what is hope involved? Time. When you hope, if, if I have something in my hand, I don't have to hope for it anymore. But when I can't see it or touch it, and I know it's there, that involves time. That's waiting. We all hope to make it to see Jesus face to face, don't we? That involves patience and time. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Galatians four, verse four. But when the time, uh, but when the time set had uh, the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. We can rest in peace in knowing that although we're not getting the answer that we want right now, Jesus satisfies in the right time. Jesus satisfies hunger in the right people. Now, don't misinterpret. I'm not talking to certain people. He satisfies some that he doesn't. He gives everybody an opportunity to find him, but when someone turns to seek him, he satisfies. Luke uh, 9, 12, that verse continued. The 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away. It's getting late. Let them go fend for themselves. I don't, I, don't think I don't think they're being mean here. I don't. I think they're concerned. There's a big problem developing uh, in feeding all these people. And, and they would probably do better fending for themselves. It's kind of my take on that. The multitudes were, were Jesus seekers and followers. They were actually people seeking out to hear what Jesus had to say. It was the right people group. He was there. It was an audience ready to hear. Jesus is available to all who call him as Lord and Savior. And it wasn't a select group of people, as I said, who get his attention. He satisfies the right people. The people that are seeking him. That's why our job is to spread the message, seek Jesus, go find Jesus. Here, let me take you to Jesus, because he satisfies. We go back to Isaiah 55. Just follow along with me here. See some real good insights of this. Come all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you, you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what is not satisfied? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. So I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and a commander of the peoples, filling you with some nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them and to our God. 
for he will freely pardon. All it takes is somebody turning and saying, hey, Jesus, help me out. I want to know you. And he doesn't push people away. It's about time, Tim. It's about time. I've been waiting for you. Jesus satisfies hunger with the right attitude. Verse 12 continues, so they can go out to the surrounding villages and go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging. When we have a right attitude before God, we find peace that satisfies. There's three or four passages of Scripture, and then we'll go on to the last point. Philippians 2, 5 day, if you're in relationship with one another, in relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being a very, uh, the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, whether he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, a humiliating death, a painful, excruciating death. First Peter 5, 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Psalm 51, 7, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. I think it's great that we do things like when we have the confession time together. I think it's awesome that when we meet together as believers, we have communion every week. There's just one problem with it. If it just becomes routine to us, and it doesn't have the meaning behind it, I think it's useless. That's why we need to have that time of confession, where we come to him and say, look, God, here's the deal. I come before you humbly. You know my life circumstance. You know the sin I'm struggling with right now. God, forgive me. Please forgive me. I know you forgive. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. So we have to be careful, even in the routines. Raising the Christian church my whole life. I'm maybe this ten communions my whole life. And there have been seasons in my life when I've had to step back and say, is this, this, is this just a routine for me right now? Or do I actually stop and recognize what this actually means to me? His body broken for me. His blood poured out for me. When he was on that cross, he said, God, forgive Tim. I know he's not here yet, but he's coming. Forgive him for the sins he hasn't even committed yet, but he knows he's, it's coming. 2 Corinthians 7.10, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. If you're struggling because you're not quite sure Jesus is your Jesus, that he satisfies, you might be dealing with some worldly grief. It's time to go visit your relationship with Jesus, with the Heavenly Father. I think you get the point. If you want peace in the soul, humble yourself before God. I think it's so critical. And my final point, Jesus satisfies in the right place. And I love this one here. Continuing verse 12, we are in a remote, desolate place here. That's where we are. You have, Jesus, we followed you out. How many times in Scripture did Jesus let people go out into the wilderness and just completely get discouraged or you know, have a tough situation in front of them. Time and time again in Scripture, and it brings us out into the wilderness, and sometimes he just, he just leaves us there for a while. Would this miracle that Jesus did with the five loaves and the two uh, fish, would it have been as effective if it was in a downtown area where there was food everywhere? 
Now, I think sometimes God just absolutely gets our attention when we're at the end of our rope. When this is it, I don't see any way out. God, help us. You can say that about some of the things happening in our world today. God, this, is, this place isn't getting better. It's getting worse. And he says, read my word. I told you it's coming. <laughs> you know, don't be shocked. Just do what you need to do for me. A number of years ago, the church I came from, uh, Stone Creek, my last ministry, we did some video testimonies with people. It was a very unique couple uh, as part of our fellowship. They hadn't been there that long. And the husband, well, they weren't husband and wife at the time. Uh, they had met each other on the streets of Portland as, as young teenagers. And they just hung together. They protected each other. And they did all the things that you do when you're on the streets. And they just really were lost. They were lost. And the woman says in her testimony, and I cry every time I watch it. I still watch it every once in a while. I'll pull it up. She said, you know, that they had gotten themselves to a place where they actually bought a house, but things just weren't, they were going through the motions of life. And the day came when there was no more. There was no more understanding about life. There was no more, I'm, just, I'm not going to do this anymore. And she describes going into her bathroom, grabbing her pistol, her husband's pistol, sitting on the bathroom floor, crying. And moments before the big event's going to happen, she yells out, God, if you are real, show me now. God showed up in absolutely amazing fashion. That couple, well, obviously they were video testimonies since she didn't kill herself that night. They, uh, they decided within a few days one night they were hungry and they were going to order pizza. And uh, frequently coupons come in the mail. And the husband had gone out to the mail that day and pulled out of the mail. There was an advertisement for pizza. There was also an invite card for our church. And that next Sunday they came to Stone Creek. Now, I know invite cards are about a half a percent effective. This one was 100% effective. God delivered the message at the right time, in the right moment, right place, under the right circumstances. They had to get where they were at for God to say, look, I'll feed you some pizza, but I want to give you something that's going to work way better than just the short-term satisfaction of a great piece of pizza. I want to give you new life. That couple came to our church. I've lost track of them now. They moved to Florida, but they wanted to work with our youth. And, you know, churches, we have policies, right? You have to have your policies and safety security. We do all that and everything. And so we said, well, we need to hear six months. And 
I realize you're not married, and there's all this dynamic, and you want to work with our youth, and we're very, very concerned, and our leadership just prayed. He said, look, God is doing a mighty work with these people. Let's just keep it supervised. Let's do what we need to do. Ask them not to talk about their living situation right now. And we left it at that. And we, we, they finally started working with our youth, and we had good leadership there, and we were kind of paying attention to what was happening. And one day he called me, came into my office, and he said, Tim, we just don't feel right working with the youth unless we're married. I didn't say one thing to him. I didn't have to judge him. I just had to love him, keep the place safe, do what we needed to do, and still preach through a wedding for this couple. The whole thing, beginning to end. And they went on and worked with our youth for a couple years, and then they went on and lost track of them. Like I said, they went to Florida and went on. But I just thought, you know, that is a perfect example. Sometimes we can get so focused on the tasks or the policies or the things that are in front of us or what we think God wants us to do when God says, would you just stop? I'm in control of the situation here. Please participate with me in the work that I want to do in Turner. Please participate with me. And you might have something that you think, this is our mission, and God's like, guess what? I'm shifting it. No, God, let us tell you, this is our mission. And God goes, no, I'm shifting it. No, this is our mission. And he says, fine, go you do your mission. And when you're done realizing it's futile, doing it without me, then maybe you'll come back out of that desolation, and you'll want to actually do what I want to do in turn. Now, I'm not saying you're off track right now. I'm just saying, you better hold all this stuff loosely. Because God's plans are way, way bigger than our plans. He knows. His timing is perfect, right? The place He uses is perfect. He lets us go to those places. And so, folks, that's what I want to challenge you today. If you're sitting here right now and you're going through the motions of Christianity, what was the comedian that said? It was Bob, Ho- or was it Bob uh, Newhart. Quit. Quit going through the motions. Go to God and say, God, I'm ready to participate. I'm ready to be a part of this. When I came to Turner down at Turner Retirement Homes, the last thing on my mind was to close the residential care facility. I came down to be a part of something that's got a long heritage, and I was excited because I'm a Christian church kid that came down here when I was in high school, and I worked on some of these buildings down here, and there were times I just said, man, this is a tired place. This, this needs some love. We need God. We need some help. And God said, okay, Tim, I'm going to pull you out of what you're doing now at Stone Creek, and I want you to go down, and I want you to help down there, and you're going to be the rescuer, dude. You're going to be the rescuer. I'm like, are you kidding? No, he didn't say that. He said, I want you to go down there and be faithful to me. And you're going to have to be there when I'm going to do something really, really hard. Just know this. I got your back. I love you. You're accepted because of what Jesus did. Now go do my work. And Tim, you're going to make mistakes once in a while too. Don't beat yourself up too much with that. And I have been absolutely amazed, and I've said this to John even in this five months, I've been absolutely amazed how God has just continued to remove roadblocks so that the ministry of Turner and Turner Retirement Homes can actually flourish as we move down the road. Tim, it doesn't sound like it's flourishing right now. Oh, it is. 
I will tell you this. Even in moving our residents from Turner Retirement Home, and I'll tell you why. Because our goal and our mission, partnering with the God we love, is to find better places for our people to land. Well, Pam Turner's the best. Right now, I've, I've pulled a snake out of a building. We've pulled possums out of buildings. They leak. There are real issues, and until we fix some of those things, we have to be willing to say, God, we're not as good at this as we used to be. Would you take care of our people? And God's like, you don't have to ask me. That's what I do. I'm arrogant of you guys to come to me and ask me to take care of the people. Just be faithful in what I ask you to do. I don't know what your future is as a local body of believers. It's a healthy group of people. There's, there's a good, good support here. I do know coming out of the role that Matt's in right now, there's tremendous heartache that comes in that role when people don't understand the decisions you have to make behind the scenes. When people withhold their giving because it's like, well, I don't totally agree with this. You're not hurting Matt. You're not hurting uh, Turner Christian Church. You're actually speaking about what you think about God when you do that. Now, I'm sure that doesn't happen here. It did at my church, you know, where I was at Stone Creek a few times. And I just love him, and I just say, you know what? God's got this. He always paid our bills. But I want you to think about some of those things. You say you can't take it with you, right? But you can pay it forward, right? Pay it on ahead by what you do in investing in the kingdom. One well, of my parting words as I close this morning is, uh, it would be this. I get the feeling that there are some people in this family that pray. Is that correct? Did I catch that? There's some people that pray. I want you to pray for your leadership. If you're not doing that already, you pray for your leadership. This is one of the most challenging times to be in ministry. I kid you not. You say, well, what about the persecution in the New Testament? Well, it, it's, it's getting closer. Love and support your leaders, even if they make a mistake once in a while. Because they will. Affirm your leaders. Let them know you appreciate them. Send them a card. Make a ball with bacon on top. Anything. Just to say, I love you and I'm thinking about you today. And I support you. God's timing is perfect, folks. I didn't necessarily plan to preach this morning because at about 7 o'clock last night, I had just finished bringing my second-to-last load down from Oregon City to our house, and I have boxes everywhere in my house. And when Matt called me and said, Hey, Tim, guess what? I'm like, Praise God. I don't have to unpack another box. <laughs> Sorry, honey. I got some responsibilities. Thank you for letting me spend some time with you this morning. Uh, you have got a great minister here. Listening to him online and the interactions I've had with him, take care of that. That's a treasure. Okay? I, I kid you not. There are churches out there really struggling to find anybody, and you've got a good one. Love him. Love his family. Encourage them. Don't make their job harder. Make it easier. My last words are, if you have not made a decision for Jesus Christ, you're going to keep bouncing through life, trying to find the things that will satisfy. And they're things that only Jesus can take care of. Amen? Jesus satisfies. 
and I'm getting hungry. So <laughs> let's pray. Father, I'm going to thank you so much for just the opportunity to share with the with your family here. And uh, it's exciting, Father, to see what you're doing. We are so thankful that you love us, that you're patient with us, that your timing is perfect, that you wait for the right time, the right place, the right circumstances, and you're looking for people that are genuine and authentic in, in their search for you. And I'm just so thankful that Jesus was obedient in his call, in love that he did what he did. So that in my humanness and in my brokenness, I have a hope for a future. I pray if there's someone here today that needs to step up and really make that decision for you, if they stay after the service and maybe talk to one of the elders or, or grab me and just say, look, how, what, what's next? What do I have to do? And uh, it's just, those are beautiful moments, God. I know that heaven rejoices when someone says, take me to Jesus. Father, bless this family. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.